This is going to be good. We get chapter 4, 1 John. This is the John who was favorite, at least in his opinion, of Jesus' group. And he was uh, so caught by the Savior that he, he just is living every day of his life for him. He is dedicated to him he is excited about who he is and what he's done and he's letting other people know it and he has invested himself in that in that truth and he wants to share with the people uh, of his day and it's come on down to us what God has done and that there are with all of these other gods that are out there and the other uh, the worship of uh, idols and there's uh, well, God, small g gods and demons behind some of those powers. And he's, he's going, we've got something real. We've got the real true God here. And it's time to get to know him. And so that's where we're going to pick this up. Uh, he's going to give us some tests so we can tell what that, what that all is about. So... First John chapter 4, remain in God and let God remain in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, entrusting us with these truths, with uh, the possibility of life as we're living on this planet, in this day, life that is from far beyond, life from heaven, imparted to us, and, and that we can know you we can know jesus so we can experience that reality thank you for all that guide us in this hour as we get into your word in jesus name amen so the spiritual life of a child of god this is uh maybe we can kind of get an idea of how this works um it's not this twisted theology and it's going to be one of the uh, factors, not this, twisted theology, and it's um, taking whatever truths are out there and and then turning them to fit the whatever the current views are, whatever the impetus of of a community is. It kind of 
rewriting what Scripture says. It's just turning those things upside down. And the world's ways, living that out. And he's address, He's going to address those things. It is a life uh, that's self-energized. It comes from the person uh, themselves, motivated by fear and um, limited love is part of that. It's just, it's a, um, it's a life that doesn't reflect all that God has in store, what he has in mind for us. So, not this, so this, a spirit-led theology. So the spirit of God, Jesus said, I'm leaving and I can't teach you everything. You can't handle it right now. Let me, I, I, I got go to I go to heaven. He's going to die, he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to ascend to the Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to teach you. And he's going to take you further. And so that's what's happening, spirit-led theology. And in the living of that life that Jesus has imparted and the Spirit is teaching is living God's ways. That's imparted to the interior to the mind, to the heart of a person, to a person following the living God, God's ways. I want you to think about that because the, the typical human approach to all of these things is to say, I just need to learn more about it. And if I learn more about it, I practically you know, put my energy into this, the energy that I've, I've generated on my own, I, I, I've got it. And if I do that better than somebody else, then, then I'm holier. That's where we get the holier-than-thou uh, kind of approach. Uh, I've got this down. I've achieved it. I need a medal because look what I've done. This is nothing like that. It's not about knocking those uh, balls out of the park. It is The reality is a relationship with the living God allowing God to work in and through an individual, through that person, leading them in theology. When theology is the knowledge of God, the science of God, the understanding of who God is, and the Holy Spirit is God and can give that information. This is spiritual stuff. It doesn't matter how clever people get how strong they are, how, how much they fall in line with everything that a particular religion says. In fact, Paul goes through a list of that stuff about his own life. And he says, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the guy. I was the top of the line. I had straight A's in all the classes. I was that guy. And he said, and, 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 and it's just rubbish by comparison to this. It's so different, so different. Spirit-led theology. It's living God's ways because God has invaded the heart and mind of a, of a human being in such a way that they don't act, they don't react, they don't live the same way that they did before. It's transformed, spirit-empowered, not self-energized. Well, I'm supposed to love people. I'm supposed to treat people nice. Well, I've about had it. I've about had it with that person. You don't know how, how long I've put up with this. And, I, and I, I just want you to know, there's no more. I have hit it. I've run out of energy. Yeah, because it's self-energized. That's why when Jesus is asking us to do this, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Don't take off too soon, boys. Boys and girls, you got to go... Hang out in Jerusalem for a while till the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes, he's going to give you power. That's energy. The word dunamis, the word for dynamite. That's what he's going to give. Spirit-empowered, not self-empowered. Moved by God's love and loving. So motivated by the things that that God has done and Jesus has proven in this world that everything 
when Jesus came and died on the cross, did everything in Israel just straighten up and all of those people lived in absolute comfort and all of their gardens grew and they never had bugs again? No. What changed? It's spiritual. And if we don't see that, we're going to be angry at God most of the time because we're waiting for him to come through and provide whatever expectation we have of the right kind of carpeting, wood flooring, AC, whatever it is that we want. And God's in heaven going, that wasn't the point. Never was the point. And we're kind of missing the possibility of a spirit-empowered, true theology, lived out God's way, moved by God's love, and what he has poured into our hearts, proven by his sending of his son who dies on the cross on our behalf, who then helps us to become loving, copying him, not out of our own energy, not defining love out of our own minds, out of our own experience, but out of who he is, allowing him to bring that uh, to life. So actualized love for other believers comes out of that. Well, I don't know how many times you expect me to stack chairs in this church. I'm the only one that ever cleans up. I'm the only one. You go, yep, I've heard that. I actually have heard that a lot. Where does that come from? Well, I'm taking advantage of. Where's the actualized love for other believers? Where does that, how, how much do we give that Jesus is saying, well, you know, you have just gone so far and, and so far above. And he said, but I gave my life. I suffered and died. And you're just tired of stacking chairs? Ah, twisted theology, world's ways, self-energized, motivated, motivated by fear, limited love. That's not it. That's not the spiritual life we're shooting for. So here's spiritual life, First John, at the end of chapter 3, verse 24. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. He puts that down like that's just a common thing. Like you would just know that. What? That you would just know. And in fact, it is so readily available and so radically different from living any other way that the spirit in us is the proof. And you go, yeah, the only thing I got is this verse that says that that happened. What he's talking about is the experience of that spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit doing what he does in us. So we don't think the same way. We don't emote the same way. We don't engage other people the same way because it is change we see things through his eyes if we keep seeing them through ours and we get short we can't believe how awful everybody else is in this world is it's going to hell in a handbasket i just can't see how this will ever ever end we're not seeing it from his eyes and yet he says those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him. He with them, and we know he lives in us. We know the word knowledge in the Hebrew, the Greek, Old Testament, New Testament is an experiential knowledge. It's not I know about, I've heard about it, I read it in a book, saw it in a magazine, read it on the Internet. I experienced it. I know because I have experienced it. When he says, we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. That's an experiential reality, not just informational. It alters everything. 
And that is what it was supposed to do in the first place. But we can't get there if we're doing this with a twisted theology, with a way of, I'm going to think about this my way, and, and I just want to do what's comfortable to me. I just want this based on what fits my priorities, the world's ways, which is what the world is telling you. And limited love, I can just go so far. And here's the Holy Spirit saying, no, you haven't gone far enough. Have you died yet? Have you resisted sin to the point of shedding blood? Little Hebrews for you. If not, we're not there yet. He's talking about the reality of the Spirit of God living in us. And when that's there, that's spiritual life. That's why we call it spiritual life. Is because the Holy Spirit is activated in us. So, that's the end of chapter 3. But the beginning of chapter 4 is test the Spirit. Because there's other spirits out there. So we're going to pick that up here. Dear friends, this is John, again, uh, his heart for his people. Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. You test them. You test them and see if the spirit comes from God. How are you going to do that? Well, you got to check scriptures. If you have the Holy Spirit active in your life, activated in your life, he's going to say, that's not me and that other person. Or he'll say, yeah, <laughs> Crazy as you think they are, that's, yeah, that's me. But it, he's going to be there to, to let you know that. Do not believe everyone who claims to, to speak by the Spirit. There's so many things that, that fly around, and, and Christians in whatever culture and whatever day and time these happen to come up with, you know, this has been going on 2,000 years, so lots of places around the globe, teachings have come up, and people go, oh, that's got to be it. That, you know, listen to how he's talking about Jesus. That's got to be the guy. And then it's culturally relevant, maybe, to that time and place, and totally off in terms of what God is trying to do in, in the lives of people, maybe in the lives of a family or a culture. Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Test it. There's a lot of false prophets. He goes on in verses 2 and 3. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and in, indeed is already here. Got to stay. Got to stay true to who Jesus is, no matter what. Who he is, how he has revealed himself. There are commentaries, uh, People speaking in churches, pastors in churches, bishops over denominations who don't necessarily think Jesus is all that. And some of them, maybe he came, maybe he didn't. You know, we really don't know. We don't know that he really rose from the dead. Now, the reality is, historically, we know he came. There's all kinds of evidence of that. And we also know that he rose from the dead. There's evidence of that, which rocks the world. But there are people in Christian leadership Christian church is the institution who not so much or he didn't come in a body he he um, he he's more he, he he's kind of a spirit and he kind of just came in and and leads us he's he's kind of giving us a um, uh, he's a guide he's a spirit guide but no physical body that becomes a problem. And that was going on by the end of the first century. It had already started. That was teaching that was happening. So he's addressing that. A person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body. 
Yeah, he came in a real, real body. And this is 60 years after Jesus was there. I mean, there are people around. John's one of them. He saw him. He even saw him resurrected. He's seen him since. But here's a group of people say, no, he's just, you know, he's just a, kind of a spirit guide. And there are people today who teach that same thing. And according to John right here, that person has the spirit of the Antichrist. So who would be opposed to Christ? Who would be opposed to God's truth? Who would lie about those things? Who would deceive? Who would take people in an opposite direction? So we have an enemy who wants to tear people down. He's going after these truths. And we have to be vigilant to make sure that doesn't happen. That Christ is honored, that we really know who he is, that we are operating in his truth from what's been revealed in the scriptures, and that we are walking in the spirit so that we are empowered to spot this stuff when it shows up. Not la 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 la, I'm just stumbling through life because the main thing is I need air conditioning. That's important to me. And God is saying, I've got something really important. When this life is done, you're going you're to be living in a spiritual reality, different dimension. And you're going to be facing God, divine beings, creatures beyond your imagination. And your most important thing is, how's my 401k? How's my air conditioning? And the government needs to change and be nice. And there's so much more, so much more. Many false prophets are out there. Those who say he didn't come in the flesh, you've got to watch that one. And you may not have ever run into that. I have run into that, and I've been around those uh, people who are acclaimed. They have all kinds of degrees. They have titles after their names, and they say this stuff. And it is, uh, it's horrible it happens, but it does. So the spirit of Antichrist is real and real in our world. Indeed, already here. And, and like we spoke before, when you get to this, to First John, the tendency when you read Antichrist is to go, oh, that's into the world, that's that big bad dude who's going to show up, and you go, no, this is anybody, anytime, any century, this is first century, who is opposed to Christ, who is teaching falsehood anywhere, not supporting Jesus, Antichrist. So I hope you get that and you don't just keep letting your head go, to the, well, it's just that dude, you know, when he, he shows up, then that's going to be it. He's going to lead this confederacy. There's going to be this giant battle. You may be here for that. You may not be here for whatever unfolds, but you are here for these antichrists, and these antichrists are around, and they may be in your family. They may be in your neighborhood. They may be in your community. They may be in your church. So you got to know. Test the spirits. There's victory. This is really helpful. There's victory. 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. That spirit, God's spirit, is greater than the spirit that lives in the world, that drags people down, that is giving falsehoods about who Jesus is, trying to take his honor, his glory, trying to disprove his place, his position, his, his reality. The Spirit of God is greater. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to know that, he, that these truths are much more important. He wants us to know we can trust Christ. He wants us to know that our, our um, relationship with God is secure, that our place in and life here and now and forever is secure. All of that. He's trying to let us, to let us know. There are times when First uh, John 4, 4 becomes mainly a, uh, it's an encouraging verse to help us overcome some hardship, some, something we don't like, some, somebody in our lives that are dragging us down or, we will use that well you know greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world so you know shake it off get going 
This is talking about some stuff way beyond that. This is another level. This isn't just, oh, you're frustrated and all that hard and I'm in some spiritual, you know, it's spiritual warfare. My tire was low today. I had to air it up. He's going, you know, I've called you to stuff that rocks worlds. That's the level I'm calling you to. And greater is he who is in you than the one in the world trying to drag all of this down. Well, they got on the titles and all the names and they got positions. Yep, but greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I don't care how many books they've published or conferences they've spoken at. Greater is he who is in you. Belonging to God, verses 5 and 6. Those those people belong to this world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God. And those who know God listen to us. They do not belong to God. They do not listen to us. That's how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. People who are listening, if they belong to God and they are listening, they will hear it. They will understand. They will listen to those words spoken about God, about Jesus, about his truth. And that same message can be given. You can read the same book. Read the Bible. Read John. Read 1 John. And a group of people will be moved and they'll go, man, I just need to get this I need to get this down. I need to understand who Jesus is. I need to understand the Christ and embrace the Spirit and live this life out. I want to practice love as God has given it to us. I want to do that. And the people of this world go, huh, no. You know, maybe we need to, we'll open up a soup line maybe or, you know, a soup kitchen and um, and they want to do good things. Do they want to do spiritually good things? Mm, no, because Jesus, you know, he's just a spirit guide. Not the same. It's a battle. It's the world's viewpoint. And you will see, and you can look at this. Look around at, at groups of people totally excited about a message. And if you listen to that message yourself, and it can be a church, it can be a Christian ministry kind of a thing. There's hundreds of thousands maybe listening to it or gathered in some big field somewhere, and they're going, that's it. And you listen to the message, and you go, well, where was Jesus in all of that? What, what was happening there? You give me some three points and, and uh, feel good about myself. And, and maybe even at the end say, well, come, come to the front, and, and, and we'll give you something. And people raise their hands, and they'll, they'll come to the front. They do it, and especially if you go to third world countries. They'll, they, they come. And then you put it on your website or your magazine. You go, see, look what we're doing. And oh, it takes off because it, it, it captures them. What if you talk about Jesus as the Christ, the one who is glorious, the one who is holy, the one who is coming again? How about you talk about who he is and the things that we need to do. And all of a sudden they go, Man, no, I don't know. You know. Thankfully, there are lots of really good ministries out there and people promoting Christ, and we need more of those. So keep, keep praying for them and, and uh, supporting those ministries because just like this, We've got to know the difference. And there's a spirit of truth and a spirit of deception, and it, it's still in our world. Thousands of years later, it's still in our world. God is love. Verses 7 to 8, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. There's a song in King James, if you, you know, grew up with that. You, you'll know that song. In fact, it's hard to read those verses and not have that song go off in your head. 
But here we, there's this love thing that's happening. So here's the source of love. The source of love is God. And, and getting hold of that and, and getting beyond, oh, I need to be more loving. So that's self-energized, self, self-motivated, self-actualized. I'm, I'm going to apply this truth. I'm going to be more loving. And then after about 30 minutes of serving somebody and you go, well, nobody really recognized me and that's a whole lot of work. I don't think I want to be loving anymore. Now I'm tired. You go, yeah, because it's coming from us trying to do this thing. The answer to all of it in all the book is to get closer to him and then allow him to work in and through us. We cooperate and we use practical means to do that and sometimes we have to force ourselves to get going but he's going to help motivate us or energize us to get those things done he is the source of love and it's unlimited comes from out there holy spirit's in us he works in and through our minds our hearts and then it starts coming out in our faces and our attitudes and our actions, priorities shift, all of that. God defines love. Source of love is God. God defines love. That's, again, throwing that back out there because the tendency is to go quickly back to, well, I know what love is. And you go, um, yeah, it's like Forrest Gump's mama always said. And we just go right back to the whatever our experience of that is. We... We define it based on how we have uh, enjoyed it or appreciated it and and how we want it, maybe. And when it comes from God, it's, it's so far beyond. That's why we keep getting the example of Christ's sacrifice, that he gives himself totally because he loves us, and he is doing something that, from the world's perspective, makes no sense. So he gets beat up and dies. And you go, so? What a waste. You know, he's only in his 30s. Could have lived a long life. So that that whole thing just doesn't make sense unless there's something really uh, hanging in the balance here. And there really is. That's why we need him. But that example is... This is, this is love. All the way till the blood drips. And remember his attitude on the cross. He's looking out for everybody else. Father, forgive them. You go, what? How come you're not yelling and screaming? You didn't do anything wrong. No, he doesn't do that. John, take care of mom. Mom, there's, there's John. Hang out with him. Guy next to him, hey, yeah, I'll see you in paradise today. Why would you have conversation like that? Because you're nothing but love. And it's just flowing through him. And he doesn't run out. His blood's dripping. He's exhausted. And he doesn't quit. It just keeps coming. And what's he telling us here? That that spirit, same spirit that was in Jesus is in us can be can be and we can handle a whole lot more than we think we can go a lot further than we ever thought we can love truly in ways we never imagined all of that but God defines love knowing God is experiential and love flows from that relationship Knowing God is experiential. It's the real life relationship connected with him, knowing who he is, knowing the, uh, what kind of person he is, what he is capable of, all of those things, knowing God. But we're experiencing it, not knowing about, but actually knowing him. And that may take some actual work on our part. I mean, we, we may have some experience, but there may be a whole bunch of gaps that need to be filled. 
so that those experiences are, are more fully developed. And then knowing him is, is more complete. And then that love flows from that relationship into the connections that we have with others as well. Real love presented, 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He sent his son to accomplish something that the world would see as nothing, not important. There was no real problem there. And God said, it's the problem. It's huge. And I want to make a difference. It's so worth it to send my son because I love these people. I want, I want those people in my family. And I'm going to send my son so I can have a bigger family and it can have all of us be part of it. And he showed how much he loved by sending his son. It's just amazing. And then we can have eternal life. That's the, the life that is nonstop. Again, coming from beyond this world. This, these, the, the lives that we're living here, we know they can be cut off. It'd be short. The life that we get from him can't be cut off. It is not short. And the quality of life jumps exponentially. And, and it lasts forever and ever and he said I want to bring that I want to bring because I have designed them to be in my image remember that part that's like first page I designed them to be like me what do they lack eternal life how about we get that into them they'll be part of the family they got some learning to do but I think we can get them there Get them into the family. And then we got all, all of eternity to live this thing out. And we'll take it from here. But God's showing us that love. He's demonstrating that love. That's how we define the love. We see what he has done and how he has done it. Verse 11, reason to love. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. I go, no, that guy just aggravates me. You don't know how mean they've been to me. Do you know those people at that church? Really? I'm supposed to love them? I think they just need to love me. They need to treat me right. And if you read that verse again, you go, we surely ought to love each other. And you go, dang it, it's on my side. It's my responsibility. I have to love... Yep, but we have, a, we have a reason. God loved us so much, and, and he's got something great for us. And the more we love, the more he's pouring love into us, and the more we can love others, and the more we do that, other people are influenced or changed or like they're wowed by the fact that somebody loves them in this world and is bringing that reality to them. Love manifests God. Love manifests God. Manifest implies an external display so evident that little or no inference is required. Merriam-Webster says manifest to make evident or certain by showing or displaying. Well, sometimes we need help with that. So that's where we get, and we need this, this manifest. God manifesting himself. So 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So that's a manifestation. That's a revealing. That's um, an external display of, of showing that God is, is real, that he's out there. No one has ever seen God. Now, is that... Is that actually true? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Oh, man. Then we have uh, Moses, who 
you know, at the burning bush. Well, there's God in that thing. And then he goes, you know, he says, well, show me your glory. God comes by. Later, Elijah has God come by. We have Daniel looking at the throne in heaven. There's God the Father. Huh. What are we looking at? What is he saying? No one has ever seen the fullness of God. Now, Jesus has. And he, was, he was around. But he's, he's kind of talking about the rest of us. The invisible God. The God is too big for all of that. All, every one of those examples I just gave you are manifestations. He manifested himself in that location. He manifested himself when Moses asked to see him. He manifested himself on the throne. God the Father is everywhere present. How do you see that? No man has seen God at any... Not, not like that. How do we see him? We see him in, when he's manifested. How does he manifest? If he doesn't appear in some fashion, how does he manifest in the world that we live in? John is saying through us, through the love. We are manifesting him and other people can see it. And they go, oh, there's, that's God. God is doing something because they are not short-tempered. They haven't lost their minds. They are actually loving to an extreme, just like Jesus. Well, who does that? Nobody in this world does that. Jesus did it. So what are we told to do? Be like Jesus. Manifest. No one has seen, ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. It's manifested. It shows up. It shows up in the world, in the way that we handle things, the way we handle other people, handle situations, handle difficulties, handle the news that we see, handle life. If we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Verse 13, experiencing the Holy Spirit, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Again, that spirit that reality of the presence of God in us, giving us truth, teaching, guiding, uh, comforting, giving us peace. He's not there to, to treat us like we're, we're little kids in kindergarten, patting us on the head because we, we colored a page. He's called us to a big job, and the Spirit is in us. And a big job is to love each other, to manifest the living God in this world. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes and busts loose. He puts that love in us. Romans 5, 5, filling. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit. God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Huh. It's explosive. It comes inside and it spreads throughout our being. Body, soul, and spirit. Mind and heart. Everything that we are. And the love comes in and God changes us. The Holy Spirit comes into us. And what he's saying is, this is how you can tell. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Because if those things are missing, the Holy Spirit is missing. If that love is there, God is there. If the love isn't there, God isn't there. God may be there part-time. And we practice that. But he wants to be there full-time, always, night and day, working in and through us, through everything that we are. And Romans is telling he comes in, it's that internal change, and bam, his love from out there comes into us. It's not limited anymore. It's not our experience in the world and our definition of love. It's him, his way, coming into us and then working way through us this is Jesus in John 15 uh, verse 5 saying 
I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That reality is how connected are we? The idea of, of remain or abide that is used in John 15 is a common word used all the way through 1 John. That's the idea John wants to convey to us. You've got to stay close. You've got to stay in him. You've got to have him in you. It's this remaining, and you can do nothing. Well, wait a minute. I was doing fine. I, I, you know, I was just grunting out some love for people. I made up my own truth about who you are. And I'm just, you know, and I figured out, uh, the churches do this all the time. I figured out the five things that this, the priorities this church needs to have, and in the next 10 years, we're going to work that out, and we're going to ask God to bless it. And he said, you can do nothing without me. How about you start with me? How about you all get close to me? How about you remain in me and I remain in you? And then we do this together. Empowered by him. It's a whole different way of doing it. The Holy Spirit makes a difference. So Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That whole witness thing is manifesting. The Holy Spirit comes in, and he says, power. He doesn't just come upon you so that you have peace and you can put up with your relatives. He comes in to give you power, and then you will be my witnesses. You will manifest that reality in the world, that reality of the living God, the reality that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again for. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he will move into our minds. And we can have new ways of thinking. We can think uh, and have the mind of Christ. It's possible. It, it's not, this isn't an automatic thing. We have to actually draw near to him to get these things. He can change our hearts. So instead of being embittered and angry and short-tempered and having a hard time with everything and everybody, he changes our heart. He gives us purpose. Our lives on this, no matter what age or stage we are in life, we have purpose. Our priorities change because he's giving us his priorities. We're not just doing our same old thing or what everybody expects of us or what we think the world would want. You know, how, how are you going to get rated or graded? Nope. And there's power. Power from out there. Unlimited power coming into us that gives us the ability to do things we can't imagine that we could possibly do because we would be doing things we can't imagine that we would take on anyway, like loving people in this way. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's not saying maybe you will, or the Holy Spirit gives a little bit of power. You can't trust him really. It's just part-time. No, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then it will be manifested. Interested in that? Because it's available for everyone. Everyone who believes in Jesus, it's, it's available for us. Down in verses 14 to 16, living in God. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. What if the love thing is just not really working for you, and God's not living there? Do you read that? God is love. All who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Because it's that unlimited power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, bringing that love into our hearts, just like Romans 5 says, and then he turns it loose, and then we connect with other people in such a way we're manifesting the reality of God, his love, in a way that our words are different. Our tone is different. 
our approach to life is different. It changes all of it. There's spiritual living. Spiritual living. That happens because we are connected with and he is in us, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's God. Living in God and God living in them. So they have moved into that realm of God. That's the kingdom, the kingdom of God, where he has, it's his will, his call, his decisions, his priorities, his way. So we move into that. And then God, with his power, with his love, moves into us and helps us work with him to live with him to go his way. Living in God's love, evidence of God's presence in them. All who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. So how to live, verse 17, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So he's not saying we've attained it right off the bat. It takes some work, takes some practice. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And we kind of have to work out some of the uh, issues and uh, places that are kind of all knotted up or rusty or whatever. He's just trying to get rid of that so that we can flow. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. It becomes more and more like he would have us to be. So that's what he's working as he does that, this additional thing he says, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. Wow. That's pretty amazing. We don't have to worry when the big when we get into the presence of the living God, and we're told from 1 Corinthians 3 that there will be a judgment big bonfire, which I put on that illustration. And all of those things that we have lived for are placed there. Our lives, every, all of it, on the fire. The things that survive it become purified. And those things we take into heaven and the life that we have beyond. If they go up in flames, we've got a problem. Well, what he's addressing here is when, when that love's growing more and more perfect, we're connected to him. We know with confidence that we're doing what God wants us to do. That's God's will. So our interactions with people are proper. We are prioritizing in the right way. We are doing the things that he would have us to do. So we don't have to be afraid on the day of judgment. So when it comes time to drop stuff on the bonfire, the only stuff we're going to add will be purified and we get to take it with us. That's what he's saying. We don't have to be afraid it's all going to burn up and we're going to be humiliated in front of the living God because of what we brought. It's that love that comes in and has worked in and through us. God's love in and through us that allows us to think different, to operate differently, to manifest him with the power of the Holy Spirit in this world. And people can say, God is real. And it, that manifestation is the, the role that we have. So there's no fear in this whole judgment thing. Uh, verses 18 19. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. Perfect love casts out fear. And you've probably heard that and heard it used in a variety of ways but when you see the context of all of that you can see this is this is about living so close to God and allowing his love to come through us that we are manifesting something absolutely different unique in all the world and it changes the world around us because of it we love each other because he loved us first he started this thing so love expels fear and the fear of judgment got fear Need more love. I don't know about that punishment thing, the judgment standing before God. 
I can only imagine, will I stand, will I dance, will I fall down at his feet? I don't, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Got fear? Need more love. Stay close to him. His love fills us. As we act in love, we manifest him. That's exactly what he's looking for. No reason to fear. The fear goes away. Live like Jesus. Jesus had no fear. He had no fear of dying. He had no fear of what was coming. Because he knew what this was all about. He knew the love of the Father. And he knew uh, that love was living in him and through him. There's no fear. Live like Jesus. Love one another. God's commandment, 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. That's the call. And he is not fooled. We cannot come up with ways that will hide our uh, anger, our hatred, our malice. All of those things will come out. I love God, but yeah, can't stand that guy. No, that's not how it works. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. And it comes out. And when we manifest that with the power of the Spirit, he's not leaving us alone. He's giving us an, a way to do this. He's given us the example in Scripture of Jesus and how he did it. And then the Holy Spirit is there to help guide us so that when we run into such situations, he can say, well, let's you know, say this, say that. You could do this. Here's, you know, this, this is giving you a clue as to how you could follow through. So we can, we can do all of those things. So God's commandment. So we need to love God, love God's people, and then manifest him in this world. And First John 4 is about, you know, remain in God and let God remain in you. So we have that continuation. It's John 15 as well from the gospel, but this is the him alive in us. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, Wow, you can do everything. And he wants us to have that, to experience that to the in the fullest. All right. Chapter four. We have we'll do five on Sunday, so don't come back tomorrow thinking we're gonna be here doing this. We'll do it after after service and after we have a little fellowship meal. Let's pray. Father, thank you for some time in your word. Thank you for um, the faithfulness of John who walked with you so long, so many years, and uh, penned these words. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving them to him and for preserving them for us in this day. And Lord, I pray that we would take it to heart, that we would remain in you, that we would get close, that your love would fill us, that it would just shock us with how amazing you are. And Lord, that we can go from this place manifesting your love everywhere we go. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.